0: drum track well i know what it is it's just a really cool groove whoever laid that down uh we live in a day and age where you can just snag like 16 bars of that off the internet and throw it on your podcast and then all of a sudden you sound cool how great is that how good is technology sometimes so i like that uh hey and i'm thankful that you were with us back here on the jonathan underscore foster podcast how great was it that my parents gave me that middle name Certainly comes in handy when you go to make a podcast and you need a unique name. (laughs) Uh, This is episode number 10 of season four. I know it's going to be sad because it's the last episode of the season. I didn't set out to do this, but it just turns out that all the seasons have had 10 episodes, so this is a good time to start. Uh, We're going to, excuse me, (laughs) to stop, and we're going to stop on a good one because we're talking to my friend Mark Harris, who is a best-selling author. He's known pretty well for The Divine Echoes and also a book called The Religious Refugees that I really like, and I know a lot of people in my circle have read. So I'm grateful to have him uh, on with me today. I got to know Mark a little bit last year through a mutual friend, our friend Latia, and it's just, it's been fun to stay in touch, and the publisher that I'm working with now has published some of Mark's work, so we got that going for us, plus he's a pretty interesting guy, he's a counselor and a teacher and an author, and recently I discovered he was a musician, and he's got some new music out there, so we're going to throw some of that music in at the end of the show, and then I hope you'll find him online, I'll put his Information in the show notes, uh, so you can track down his music on YouTube or any other of the digital music sources, and of course some of his books. First, we got a few updates. Yeah, basically, let's talk about me for a second before we get carried away. Um, I've got a book coming out in November. I'm pretty excited about it. Not that I haven't been excited about any of the other books. It winds up encapsulating so much of what I've already concluded or am thinking uh, regarding theology and my thinking over the past few years. So as such, it's the only book I've written where I'm actually writing down what I've already kind of decided versus lots of, well, all the rest of the other stuff I've written, including the uh, collection of fictional short stories, were all in an attempt to try to figure out what it is that I believe. So this was a different thing, which is part of the reason probably that it went quicker I wrote this thing in about 30 to 45 days, which is ridiculously fast for me. Now, it's not super long, none of my books are. It's probably gonna wind up being 140, 150 pages. But uh, still, that's quite a bit for me, or you know, written pretty, pretty quickly for me. But the idea is basically uh, taking a look at my whole overall deconstruction, reconstruction journey, and realizing that I didn't wanna just blow things up Um, I wanted to build and cycle in and grow into and evolve into something more substantive. So it's less emphasis on the deconstruction and more emphasis on the reconstruction. Although they're symbiotic, they go hand in hand. And um, I led this small group last year in 2020. You guys remember 2020, right? Seems like forever ago, or it seems like yesterday. I can't figure out which. But I I led this group that I wound up calling the Reconstructionists, really enjoyed it. And what I told them, I finally decided that really my entire journey of disassembling and reassembling can be filtered through three things. Uh, The idea that people are greater than the text, that mercy is greater than sacrifice, and that love is greater than fear. Now, for you longtime listeners of the podcast, you're not going to be surprised to probably hear me say any of that stuff, but it was really enjoyable to be able to write this down and to add some other stuff with it. So I wrote it. I liked it. I found a publisher, and now we're just waiting for it to get finished. So that's what's going on. So it's a good time to take a break because I got to prepare for that over the next month. Meanwhile... You can still find me in a handful of different places. Number one, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Jonathan underscore Foster. Thank you very much for the folks who are supporting me there. Genuinely, I'm really grateful for a spot like Patreon. I know I support a handful of people on Patreon, and I don't take it lightly for those of you who are helping me. I I really appreciate it. So you can always find me there, certainly at jonathanfosteronline.com if you're not on my newsletter. You need to jump on that. If you do, um, I'm sending you a free, a free essay out of a book called Partnering with God that I wrote. So I'd love to see you there. And then here's a third thing, and it's new. So just check this out. Um, and it's going to be brand new as of October 12. So I think that this episode will be out by October 12. It's a new app called Wisdom it's a talking voice audio app it's a little bit like clubhouse audio if you're familiar with that but since i'm getting in early on the wisdom app uh, i might be able to catch some traction so i'm going to give it a shot Um, you can find me there just search for yes jonathan underscore foster and you can listen to stuff that i've already begun to record or you can jump in on things live it could be cool And look, if it doesn't work, um, if it just turns out to be yet another algorithmic mediated tribalistic, you know, thing, then I won't stick with it. But I'm going to give it a shot through 2022. I'll record some stuff and then I'll show up live to talk about some things. Right now, I think I'm going to be showing up on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We'll see how my schedule goes. It's a little bit, well, it's quite a bit like podcasting, except you have the live part of it. And so you could jump on there, interact with me. And also, there's just way less production, uh, which I kind of like that. Cause as you know, um, or as you may not know, I wind up spending way too much time on the music part of the podcast, which usually is fun. But other times, it's like, seriously, how many hours am I going to mess with a reverb on the snare? You know, so it gets out of control sometimes. So maybe the wisdom app will be a way for me to get straight to the quote unquote wisdom. And uh, not mess with some of that other productions uh, so much. I'm going to run with it for a while, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, but but meanwhile, um, it could be a cool spot. So I hope to see you there. And there are other places to find me, but good grief, I mean that's enough, right? Uh, let's just let's take a second, hear that solid drum track for a few more bars, and then we'll jump into our conversation with Mark before I get to say goodbye at the end. Thank you very much for being with us today. Welcome, uh, my friend Mark Harris, with us tonight. Mark's a best selling author. Uh, he's probably won some awards. Have you won awards? Award winning author? um no awards you yeah should.
1: there was an award for music but not a word yeah okay,
0: well we're going to talk about music so good enough you're an award you're an award-winning person <laughs> yeah in god's yeah. eyes i am that's right <laughs> so true um and mark and i just got to know each other a little bit last year and we've been able to keep the friendship going and i really appreciate religious refugees and I know a lot of people in our circles, um, that book's influence them. And um, I wind up, I think, referencing it a time or two in some of my writing. So uh, that's cool. Thanks for doing that. And then most recently, I found out that Mark is a musician. And so he's got some music that's coming out. Or wait, is, is, the, is the first one already out?
1: Um, well, this newer stuff it'll be out. I am assuming by the time it gets to your listeners.
0: Yeah yeah, the new stuff' starting to come out and I, I've had a chance to listen to some of it. I invited Mark to come on because this season of the podcast we're talking about story. That's kind of the motif. That's kind of the theme that's been weaving through a lot of these episodes. Now if we don't ever get to the theme, that's fine too. We can talk about other things. But I'm fascinated with story and with art and what makes art, art. And here you are at the intersection of music, psychology, writing, you know, a little bit of theology, a little bit of ecclesiology, all these things. So um, I know you'd be a good person to talk to. Cool. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. So so let's start there. What, what do you think... What do you think makes good art, man? Hmm.
1: I should have never taken a class on postmodern uh, social constructionism. <laughs> I mean, I mean, my brain automatically goes to. I have to be honest that there's a certainly a subjectivity to art, and my son drawing at four years old uh, I think it's terrible uh, but but it's terrible but beautiful okay let's put it that way but uh, yeah there's certain subjectivity I, I remember some famous artist you know like incorporating feces in his work and it was a you know a big thing and people were angry and the the big, some artists were like this is nonsense this is you know bullshit Oh, what an interesting word to use. Um, but just terrible. But yet this guy was really thinking it was art. And there was other people who, wow, look at that. That's real art. So I think there's a subjectivity to it. And it really is hard to define. But it is something that comes out of the human soul and the road toward creativity and wanting to express themselves that somehow becomes appealing to some uh, some individuals.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How does psychology connect with music, connect with art and story for you? How has this developed and unfolded over the years?
1: Yeah, I think it, it's all connected: anthropology, psychology, narratology, everythingology. It's all in there. Theology we are or i should say we have become we have evolved to be meaning making creatures and story is so intrinsic to who we are and especially as you know the human species evolved into these become these tribal creatures where you know the writing on caves you know the writing on caves to you know watching netflix and everything in between just these communities that, I mean, it's just in our DNA. We're just storied creatures. It is the lack of story sometimes, the disintegration that actually creates um, some aspects of anxiety and depression. And so, I mean, it's definitely linked and each one carries its own, you know, you go down each road, it could, be pretty interesting to go down, but it's just a fascinating thing. We we would die without story. It is the cohesion. It's the glue that brings communities together. It inspires. It evokes. It challenges. It
0: discusses. It uh, you know every word you can put there. It's just so powerful. As far as going back and forth between music, psychology, writing. Um, how is it mm-hmm. you're doing all these things, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Some people are just going to pick one thing. And I wonder if one area seems to fire up your brain more than the other. And are you dialing into that longer? Or is it, are you just enjoying going back and forth? Yeah,
1: I think it's so integrated into who I am and the work that I do. I mean, even as a therapist, you know, story is so important. But then it gets into a fascinating conversation around, I don't care some – I care about your content, but I care about the story that your nervous system is telling. Because it's a totally – it can be a totally different story. Like, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me. So we can know that in our head. But in our nervous system, you know, we could sing a different tune. You know, Jesus loves them, but not me, because I am so dirty, you know, there can be this split. And we know from a neuroscience perspective, there is a difference between sort of the prefrontal cortex and the subcortical nervous system. And that's where trauma is going to reside. And so I'm listening for story there. And one of the songs that's going to come out uh, in maybe the next week or so. Yeah, I wanted to capture story and meaning and I think about my own life as someone who's been deconstructing and a religious refugee and been called a heretic and the story that people have told about myself and this villain and the character in the story that's created so much hurt and pain for me. And then also thinking about my community and the stories that they also have been deeply affected by. And so so I'm actually thinking about that as I'm, I'm writing. And so, as a therapist, and whether thinking theology, it's always story. Um, I, I the days of merely focusing on propositions for simple knowledge sake is probably pretty past for me. Um, somehow it has to affect story, especially the relational story that we're embedded in. in this relational wonderful beautiful chaosmos
0: in which we live. So, yeah, it's so integrated, all of it. I love that. It is so true. When you're talking about, you know, a person can say one thing, but you're listening for the story. You're listening for the music and the, the bigger art that's playing out. And, and in some ways that is the story of um, not to speak for you, but certainly for me, the, the religious institutionalized system I grew up in. They said one thing, but I kept hearing all these different vibrations that were antithetical to the things that they were saying. And I never really quite figured it out um, probably until the last five, six, seven years. So it took me a long time. That is right. so true. I, I think, doesn't there seem to be, it seems to be so much cognitive dissonance that people from that, not to, not to rip on those people. Cause I have my own issues too, but um there seems to be so much that you would have to hold so much cognitive cognitive dissonance to even, let's say, talk about love. For example, if you're ultimately defining love as violent or binary or scapegoating, which is what that old religious system winds up doing, how do, how do the preach yeah. leaders and how do they carry on with so much dissonance? I'm going to be,
1: I'm going to have a different view here. Okay. I actually think now I don't hold to a violent Hitler-esque punishing God, but I'm I can take sort of a, a long view and um just a big picture view. And I think that people don't necessarily have to have cognitive dissonance. Like they can feel decently at peace and hold to a violent God and a loving God. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard for people, some people to understand, because now in our minds, we're thinking uh, it created so much cognitive dissonance for me. But I just, as I even think about the biblical authors, I don't think even for them, they were able to hold this interesting space where maybe they can talk about love and God was violent. Like, you know, that uh, sort of dichotomy between Moses saying that uh, god is a man of war in the in the king james version in uh, exodus and then you know the first john god is love but some of them i think could actually hold both as true and not feel cognitive dissonance they're able to hold this interesting space where god is love yes but you've heard it right god is love but god is also just and i i just don't think they carry as much cognitive dissonance as someone like me and you and, and others would. So I, I hold space for them to have these interesting stories. And I, it it does invite compassion for me because I I like that makes sense. Yeah. Like you're reading the Bible, you know, like it's not like you're pulling this out of thin air. And as much as some progressive people like to, like, it's so strange to me that. Oh, nowhere in the entire Bible is God violent. The problem is we're just not reading correctly. So if you take, you know, Jesus as the lamb and not necessarily the lion, and like there's ways to read Revelation where it's just so nonviolent. And I, it's just hard for me. It's like, dude, no, that was pretty freaking violent. Jesus is using very violent metaphors here at the very least. So I don't know. I I but all that to say, I think there's enough material in the Bible to come away with a God who is violent
0: and a God who is loving. And so that viewpoint makes sense to me. I think that too. I think there's a way to read the Bible that would suggest to you that God is violent. I just don't think it's the healthiest way to read it. That's just my opinion. And once you do start to deconstruct certain things and kind of reapproach it, you see how. Um love is way more interesting. Love is a better story. It's more complex. It's more nuanced. You know, it's more challenging. But but I, I hear what you're saying too. You're saying some people just haven't they haven't um re-disassembled and reassembled it enough. And so they don't really have a con- certainly a conscious understanding of cognitive dissonance, it's just the way they've always lived.
1: Yeah. And hey, brother, I have the peace and in- you know, love of Jesus in me, and yes, you're going to hell, and and they could literally weep. Right, I've, I've encountered it. It's just such a deep, passionate love for God, yeah. and they don't have a dissonance there. It just sort of makes sense to them. And so I'm very, I'm very sensitive to be the colonial other who, no, you have to have cognitive dissonance and read it the way that I am. I, you know, uncontrolling love. It's just not where I'm in. And can you hold space for my story? And can I hold space for you to tell your story while not particularly
3: uh, agreeing with it, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: that's the trick. It's so true.
1: But it, it helps to, to be a therapist because unconditional positive regard and empathy and congruence, Um, you know, the ability to be non-judgmental when somebody is sharing maybe violent acts and abusing this person and uh, have this interesting fetish and you know I've just learned it's not my place to necessarily judge but I just want to be with you in your story and invite you potentially into one that may be healthier but that's going to be up to you to decide and not for me to put down your throat.
0: I love that phrase, unconditional positive regard. We've been, Carl Rogers. Yep, we've been kicking that around our faith community um, a lot the last couple months, in particular, because on a, on another podcast we do through our faith community, one of my counselor friends. That oh, nice! So nice. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great way to approach it. Yeah, I have about a hundred questions. Um, yeah what happened in your life you grew up pretty conservative pretty restrictive so what were the things that took place that forced you to start to be aware that there was cognitive dissonance and then propelled you down a down a new path or a different path
1: ah oh, man it's tough there's been so many paths but my story you know was not always embedded in a conservative uh, Christian setting. So there's the story of me being the, you know, um, someone who grew up with drugs and violence and, uh, all that stuff and mental illness, you know, that was a story. That's what I grew up in. I, my story was, I could not think of a story past 18. Like my, it was so dark and abysmal and hopeless. I didn't even know what could be. I just thought it would probably, you know, I mean, I would cut myself. I was suicidal. You know, I, yeah, it, it was just, uh, there was a dark story embedded in my soul that was so shame infested. I did not think very highly of myself. And, but that's where the story of Jesus comes in Then you know, the fast forward there at the age of 21. meeting Jesus. And, uh, I I do consider myself, uh, a very inquisitive deconstructionist and I've tried to deconstruct my, my story of, uh, uh, my, um, born again story. It's, it's hard to do in a purely secular naturalistic framework. In other words, with it, like being in an abusive family and very difficult, and not, you know, and poor, and all that stuff, and becoming a Christian—I I was in a field all by myself, and I was crying, and I, you know, I said, "Jesus, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired," and that was the last line. Like that was like the BC moment, and I just after that, I was so just overwhelmed with a love that I cannot deconstruct. Like there was no fog machine. There was no, the bees were not praying and speaking in tongues because my twin brother was in the Pentecostal church. And, you know, I went a few times and it was just me in a field. And I just, that was like the moment. And after that, my life was never the same. It I can't explain it. Just a love that I never felt before. I mean, weeks after just just weeping still. And it wasn't, I've never cried because I was filled with that kind of love before. Like it was so freaking transcendent. I can't make the shit up. It was, excuse my language. It was just like, I can't, you know? So that was the beginning of the the Jesus story in my life. And that took me in a whole other trajectory. There's so many stories, I don't know even know where to go after that, but so there's the BC story and then there's that story and then going into one that's Pentecostalism and then rigid and you're the only ones who were saved. And I couldn't fellowship with those who believe in the Trinity. I had to cut my hair because doesn't, isn't there a passage in Corinthians, doesn't nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto himself or something like that women if they trim their hair it would that was um they'd be in danger of hellfire that's how serious this stuff was so it couldn't get any more rigid um i i was so i was scared to drink soda because i was afraid to defile the temple of the holy spirit that i mean talk about rigid you know but I don't know. It, there's so many other stories, but that, that's the story of the rigid, controlling authoritarian. Uh, you don't go to school. You know, uh, it was uh, very constrictive. Yet uh, there was uh, some love there, too. So I'm not going to split it all bad. But, yeah, very toxic theology for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. I grew up uh, Church of the Nazarene in the 1970s and 80s in Iowa mm-hmm so uh i thought i had it bad but we we could still drink craig cola
1: oh wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> so not- you liberals man <laughs> right. the, uh, final of the temple
0: of the holy Montcola. spirit like that exactly but we could not play cards or bowl or roller skate or dance or yeah yeah, a lot of stuff, but I want to comment on, thank you for saying, and I think it's so true, there was also love there. There was a lot of legalism, and um, but there was also a lot of love, and, I, and a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff to build upon, and I'm thankful for that. And I've often thought, I don't know if this is true, um, and I don't even know how you would measure this anyhow, but it seems like for me, it probably was a better and a healthier path to go from solid construct to the more abstract love, as love carried me through these things and things got more complex, less rule-driven, um, I, I th- that's probably healthier for me. And one one question, we have a lot, we have a lot of questions, but one question, especially in the group that I interact with, in particular, are the younger parents who have young kids how do we raise up? I'm kind of going a different angle now. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. your, your thought um, caused me to think this. So the question is, um, how would you respond to that? How do we raise kids with an awareness of what I'm still calling um, an attempt at non, non-violent, non-scapegoating, non-binary love, but also recognize these kids as they grow up, they need solid construct. They're not at age five able to have this abstract thought so uh any mm-hmm. any thoughts of wisdom
1: yeah well good luck with that um if the bible is going to be the main sacred text we we definitely have some interesting work to do um you know and, and you know my i have a bible i my four-year-old and we have a story bible and like we're, all, you know, we're reading the the story of Noah, and it's just like, you know, when you think, you know, obviously we still talk about it all the time, but it's so violent, and it begets the question of, you know, why, Dada, you know, and, you know, what about the babies and the mothers and the pregnant mothers and, you know, the granddads and, yep, God killed them all, buddy. Just saved the select few. Why, Dad? Well, God was pretty angry. You know, people were not listening to God. They were being naughty. So that's what happens when you're naughty. So it's it's hard. Thank goodness there's books coming out, that children's books. I know we got the Rachel Held Evans newer kids book. And, you know, people are coming out with books where you can read with your kid. That's a little bit more inclusive than a nonviolent. But it's going to be a difficult journey because they say, well, what about church? Um, because I have people who aren't part of, what do you do? Do you put your kid in a setting where they are inundated with these kinds of stories and these narratives that God loves you, but God absolutely hates sin? And a primary tool that God uses to deal with sin is violent physical punishment, right? That's That's how he rolls, right? So I don't know, Jonathan. I don't know. There's no easy answer here. But I think if we're able to talk to our kids, when first of all, I think we do have to filter some of the violent stories until they're ready and there's a particular stage of development. But I also think there's a good hermeneutics. And there's something for me beautiful about saying, you know what? These back then in those days, this is how they perceived God, right? This is how they understood God to be the character in the stories that they were living. So, when they had a big battle and they got their butts kicked, or let's say there was a big flood and it killed so many people, like they, God was a main character and they were writing a script for God. Some things that God said and did and But dad, did God really say that? Well, that's a good question. I don't think that God really, well, how how do you know, dada? Because son, God has to be more loving than me. And I know I would never use violent physical punishment to teach you a lesson. I would never cut off your arm or have someone stone you because you did something I told you not to do. And God, by very definition of love, has to be more loving than me and the wise uh, people who write about healthy discipline in our society who, you know, it's pretty much a given, a violent physical punishment does not work to learn. So I think God's all about learning, you know. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, Dad, you're right. So that's a good way to understand it's a litmus test. Dad, what's a litmus test? Well, that's a sign. Is this God or isn't this God? Is love at the forefront? Or if you see God like committing violence and really hurting people, maybe that's the stories the biblical authors were saying because that's all they knew at the time. Oh, Dad, you're so smart. I love you. <laughs> I, like, But that's just some of the conversations, you know, because we have to have a hermeneutic to deal with the sacred text. Absolutely.
0: And it just... Uh, you know, thank you for playing that out because that's what it takes. It takes just patience and working through it and talking and whether the, the child is four or 14 or 24 or 44, you know, trying to continue to reapproach it. And I love that whole idea. God's got to be, if God is love, it's got to be just a little bit more than whatever I do. And I'm not going to do anything like that. So. That's right. True. God
2: has
0: got to be more loving
1: than me. Yeah. And, and then I, like if they're older, uh, son, God has to look a little different than uh, Hitler and Stalin too. You know that, right? Um, that's a good sign, you know? If he's doing some of the things that they're doing, probably a good sign that that may not be objectively God doing that. But they were a tribal, talk about story, that was the story they knew. You know, they were in a tribal culture full of communities who had their tribal gods. That's just how the gods rolled. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. And you started by saying, well, if if this is the sacred text, you know, we have some, we have a lot of work to do, basically. And I do think the Bible is a sacred text, but I also think there's lots of other sacred texts. And uh, by the way, one way we get those is through art and through music and there's a lot of really sacred beautiful stuff that happens. Mm. So um I know who you know when I listen to your music, who you who I thought you sounded like and who you reminded me of, but um yeah, who's influenced you musically mm. over the years? Either lyrically or actual you know, music notes.
1: Yeah. Well, I would s- Before I became a Christian, I was in a progressive metal hardcore band, and uh, so at sixteen to the age of twenty-one, you know, did some a lot of playing in the tri-state area, opened up for national acts. But I would say that influenced me pretty heavily. Um, So heavy guitar, uh, guitar virtuosos um, like Steve I and Joe Satriani. Richie Kotz and all these like shredders, so deeply influenced me. And then on the heavier side, you know, just uh, just actually yesterday I was talking about a this interesting juxtaposition. In the same hour, I was listening to Pantera, and I was listening to Corey Asbury. Um, they just they do it for me. Uh, I you know, and um, so pretty heavy music. And, you know, rock and all that. And then the Christian aspect, yeah. Honestly, I didn't listen to a lot of bands, but who did it for me was, I guess, more than like Jesus Culture and Jason Upton. There was such an authenticity. The pop, you know, overproduced, you know, stuff. I just never, I never vibed with it. It was always you know, the happy-go-lucky, you know, let's all sing, dance, sing, it just wasn't, didn't sit with me in the same way that these other artists are just so raw. Like, because, you know, someone like Jason Upton is literally, it's just so, it's so organic that some of the songs just arose from him and his experience, and it wasn't set. It was just what's coming out of his heart in the moment. And, and same with I think Jesus culture. So to me, that's so beautiful. Yeah. I love that stuff.
0: It's good. Well, my my first thought was uh Dave Grohl, Food Fighters kind of a sound, limp biscuit kind of a sound. Uh who else did I think of? You know, you don't sound like the lead singer for Green Day, but the heavy kind of guitar stuff had mm-hmm. had that reminded me of that too. And but anyhow, yeah, those people that you mentioned, I'm I'm not surprised. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and someone uh, just yesterday, I had someone else listen to it. Oh, man, there's so many like Creed.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought of Creed, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the Apostles' Creed. Right, right. right. Last, thing I, last thing I think of when I... you. No, I'm kidding.
1: Yeah, those old fuddy-duddies
0: coming up with some... What happened? Why? Why did Creed... Do you remember he got... I think I'm probably a couple years older than you, but I just remember... Like was it just that he got so popular that there was a backlash against him? Do you remember that?
1: Um. Yeah, but I think part of the downfall was drugs. Oh, really? Was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, definitely struggled with drugs for a while, even to the point of psychosis, uh, and then in rehab. And I actually watched him in a reality show because I'm a couples therapist, and he was in a couples therapy show. Okay. So, him and his wife, you know, it was a full season of him dealing with his relationship issues. Uh,
0: yeah. So, and he was supposed to be, I don't, I'm not trying to say that pejoratively because he might have been, but he was a Christian. It mm-hmm. seemed like, and maybe that, as I'm saying it, maybe that was part of his, like, the reason some people didn't like him too. They thought, I don't mm-hmm. know. I might be reading into it more, but.
1: Well, there again, you know,
0: another person's treasure. That's right. Yeah, I don't imagine there's going to be any backlash against you. Um,
1: well, you know, I actually believe there will be. Okay, from whom? Let's say you're. Um, well, I don't know about backlash, but backlash from somebody who comes from a conservative fundamentalist background sure uh, may may push up against it. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, but I'm sure there's, it's too heavy. That's not the music I listen to, or it's not heavy enough. Or. Right.
0: Yep. Art is subjective. That's right. Art is subjective. Well, you'll, uh it's all right with you. You'll have to let us play a little bit at the beginning or at the end of this, of this episode. We'll make sure we do it after you have released. Your nice. Song. That'd be cool. Yeah. I'll give you a, you know,
1: there'll be a link to, uh, yeah. to the video.
2: yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. um well one of the things that we that we've been talking about again through this season is this idea of story and how you don't you know no one reads a story that is conflict free like that's really boring
2: Mm -hmm. no one
0: would go to a movie uh no one would read a novel and um how I I have the feeling that a lot of us, myself included, when I'm in the middle of the problem, I feel like, oh, I'm doing something bad or wrong, which, of course, there are times when you have to make course adjustments. But other times, I've come to realize, actually, that might mean I'm just in the middle of a good story, because all good stories have conflict. So Mm. you, I don't know, what I don't know what, how you're feeling and what you're going through, but whatever conflict or tension you're feeling in your life. Uh, hey, it's just a good reminder, Mark, you're in the middle of a good story, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the therapist in me though, when I heard you say that, yeah, it's, it's, it's such, there's, um, it's part of, it just reminded me of a, a shame punishing story though, mm. you know, like, because it's so common in, in the Christian tradition, something goes wrong. Well, I must have sinned or I, I must have done something bad or God, God's mad at me. You know, it's so easy to go there, I think. And it's so hard to get away from. It's so hard to enter into a different story. So it just reminded me of that. Um and that just a lot of people do suffer with that kind of story.
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Right. So to be clear, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, right. We live in a world where bad stuff happens and it's challenging and it's complex. And it's not necessarily because you have sin, although we all have our issues, it's just this complex world, but that God's in the middle of it. And hopefully, um, there's really beautiful art and music to be made. And it's a good story that's happening. So encouragement is to hang in there and to to trust in uncontrolling love. Yeah. And I'm going to
1: say too, that we trust in uncontrolling love, but after living, uh, you know, I'm getting up there in the age I feel, but I'm fully aware that people don't take the best, They have a pen, but they don't make the best use of it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, in writing their story. Mm -hmm. I find that there's a lot of acquiescing to circumstances or I'm just going to trust God. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's nothing we can do. Mm -hmm. And trusting and surrendering to the process, to God, to a story that turns yourself is so important. And are we doing everything that we can with the power? power of choice that we have. in each moment, there's literally something that we can do as the God of each moment who's luring us to a different experience of love and healing and hope. And I don't know it's because for me, let me just own my stories, there's times where I haven't made best use of the pen. Why? Because I've let fear get the best of me. Um I personally think I could do more with music and I could encourage people more with that gift, but I think I acquiesce to fear uh, and anxiety. And well, oh man, the the play in front of people is so anxiety provoking. And even though I've done it for years as the worship leader, but outside of that, I I, mean, I've dreams sometimes of like, dude, just play a coffee house, you know, just, get out there and use your gift. And no, I'm scared. But I, I do think that fear keeps many of us from entering into the fullness of our stories. And to be conscious of that, to really self-reflect on what would it mean in this next moment to do something daring, and courageous, and take a risk. That's uh, that's something I'm challenged with. And I, I'm just so aware of that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like that's something really, that's some really good art right there just to be a human being who could step into that next moment and, and to, to live that. It's like a little tiny story inside the bigger story that's playing out. Every single moment, God wants to interact with us. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and I know very well, and let me speak for myself too. I was living in a victim story for a long time, significant trauma, suffered immensely because of it and I actually for a while i thought the world owed me something I was a victim that you know people should give to me in a way uh, I deserve it I earned it because of what I went through and i I learned that that's not the best story to live in and there was something pretty profound to not give into that story and to experience my own power as someone who's not just a victim but someone who is powerful and can live in love and can live in love boldly and with victim the victim story there's a narcissistic quality to it and it's so tiring and it's so um it's so boring you know there's something beautiful in you know thinking about other people and other people's plights and not making it all about you and just finding tremendous joy just to give, just to give, just to give, and to give.
0: Well, that's good. Thanks, man. I know we've been going a while here. We could we could go a long time, but you probably got songs to write and books to write. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dude, I'm making art with you, man. This is this is our song.
0: This is the song. It's just, the, we're writing, man. That's right. We are. We're making it up as we go. So I really appreciate it. And thanks for what you're doing and for the influence yeah. you have. And I hope, I hope you do more of it. Keep it up. Yeah. Jonathan,
1: great being here with you, just chatting, sharing our hearts. And, uh, yeah, thanks for all you do and who you are as well. Thanks, man. Okay. All right. Peace. Talk to you later. All right. Take care.
0: All right, that was fun. My thanks to Mark for joining me. Make sure you check out his new song I'm Not Your Heretic on YouTube. You can also find him at his website markgregorycaris.com. That's markgregorycaris.com where you can learn about his writings and his counseling practice. Meanwhile, I hope to see you well at a variety of different places. How cool would it be if you joined me on Patreon? That'd be fun. Or on social media, like on this new Wisdom app that drops on Tuesday, October 12th It'd be fun to have you there. Like I said, I'm going to hang out there a little bit in 2021, the remainder of the year. We'll see if we can't uh, make something cool happen. Uh, I'll probably take a few weeks off. but we got some fun stuff coming down the pike. I hope to connect with you. Um, never hesitate to reach out to me if you got questions and comments. It's always good to hear from you. So here we go. Let's hear some music. Peace.
3: Sunday's here and I'm feeling cold. Is it me or you? Shame and fear pumping through my veins. Doubt is my best friend. You tell me I'm so deeply loved. Your torment can be. on Nancy's class